Would you just join me in a quick word of prayer before we begin looking at God's word today? Let's pray. Lord, we do need you. I need you, and we all need you. God, would you help us to reflect upon how much we need you as individuals, how much we need you as a church. God, would we look to you, and would you guide us today as we continue to worship you today together, as we look to your word, would you open it up to us so that we can understand it and be transformed, to be renewed, to be made more into your image, and I pray all that today in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, junior Church, you may be dismissed. It's up in the south wing again this week. If you're heading that way, it's in the south wing. Alright, well, if you were with us last week, you'll know that we were, were embarking into a new series for the summer, and we've started talking about church. Uh, kind of interesting that we're at church, and we're talking about church. What is church, and how is church uh, supposed to impact our lives, and what is it all about? And so we've called this series Church 101. It's the basics of getting back to the church, and uh, as we are coming out of a really weird, strange time, and we're coming into the future as a church, we just want to make sure that our, our foundations are laid, that we are understanding not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then how we respond to that gospel as a church, and so we're going to continue that today. We're going back to the basics of church, and last week, I'll sum it up in one short little line, uh, and if you missed last week, you can always go back and watch it online, but uh, last week we looked at the basic idea that the church is the get-together of Jesus' family. The church is the get-together of Jesus' family. So we talked a lot about those three ideas that are in that statement. That it's the get-together, it's people getting together to be together to worship, to, to be together to honor Jesus. And we talked about that as we get together, we are part of Jesus' family. That as the church, we, we belong to Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. It is his church that he will not allow to fail. And, and so therefore, it, it should drive us away from the ideas of somehow thinking that, it, that the church is something we own or possess or something that we can manipulate for our own purposes, but instead to look to the church to see that the gathering of God's people are, is exactly that. It's God's. It's Jesus's. And then we looked at the idea of the church being a family, and that all comes together as we talk about how we are together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're adopted by the same Father, and therefore we are all in the same family. And so we talked about the idea of a church being a family, a get-together of Jesus' family, not a building we come to, not a program that we, uh, that we attend, <clears throat> not even the different elements of a church service, like preaching and praying and singing and all those things are great to do, but just those elements in and of themselves is not what church is about. What church is about is you and me together worshiping Jesus as his family, and that is what we talked about last week. So... Uh, and understanding here, as we go through this topic, there's going to be a lot of times where we'll have some overlap, um, and we're going to start where we also started last week when we talked in the book of Acts, verse or chapter 2, we'll get there in a moment, but before we do, 
Today's point, what we're going to be looking at today, we've looked at what the church is. It's the get-together of Jesus' family. Now we're going to look at the question, what does the church do? In other words, if the church is a family, then what is our family business? What is our family business that we are into, that we are about Like, if you've ever seen a family that is running a business together, everybody plays a part and everybody keeps that business going and they know what they're doing and why they're doing it. And today, that is why, that's how we come together. We're going to talk about what it is that we do. What is the family business? What is it that the church does? And we're going to look at it in pretty big concepts today. And throughout the next uh, six weeks... Uh, some of these big concepts will be broken down into smaller concepts. And so if you think it's too overreaching and, and just too vague today, just know that we will put more detail into these over the next coming several weeks. And so today we're going to take a big picture look. What is it that we're here for? What is the mission of the church? What is the job of the church? What is the family business? And today what we'll see is this. The church's business is to magnify God, love one another, and share the gospel of Jesus. Again, the church's business is to magnify God, love one another, and share the gospel of Jesus. And I want us to go to Acts chapter 2 now. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And I want to read these. We read them last week. And again, this is after uh, a... Well, we're going to see 3,000 people are added to the church because they understand and know the gospel of Jesus. Jesus died, rose again, offered forgiveness for their sin if they will trust in him and turn from their sin. And and 3,000 souls do that. That's what we're told here in verse 41, which we'll read in a moment. And the first church is started because it's the church of the people of God that are coming together for the specific purpose of worshiping Jesus as a family. And so we read in Acts 2, 41 through 47, this is what happens. This is what it looks like. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed and were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So Acts 2 tells us what the early church looked like. And last week we looked at that passage to say, notice here that it's all about People. It's not about buildings. It's not about programs. It's all about people coming together to be together and to worship Jesus. And so we saw that part, but now we're going to see some of the more specific things that they might have been doing here in this early church. And so as we go through the sermon today, I'm not going to break it all down right now, but we're going to, as we look at the three things that we are meant to do, to magnify God, love one another, and share the gospel of Jesus, we will go back to that passage in Acts chapter 2 and look at some of the things that they were doing that show us these things. But let's start with our first point this morning, and that is that the church is meant to magnify God. 
to magnify God. Now, I chose this word specifically. I chose magnify. Many times, if you'll hear a sermon like this, the word would be used as glorify. And I think that's also true. And it's basic, the words are very, very similar. And so, yes, the church is to glorify God, to give weight to God's name, to show him to be as weighty as he is. That's the idea of glorify. But today I want to talk about it in, as we are glorifying God, this idea of magnify becomes so important. Because it's not as if that our job is to make God look good. Because uh, that's the idea sometimes when I've heard people talk about glorifying God, make God look good. Okay, yes, but we don't have any power to make God look good. God is already good. He already looks good. He is already perfect. So there's nothing we can add to God or somehow show people about God uh, that we can make up or manufacture out of ourselves, but we can magnify God. In other words, God is who he is, and we can basically get the magnifying glass and can point it so other people can look through the magnifying glass and see how great and glorious and wonderful and good God truly is. And so the church's job is to magnify God, to, to show the world who God is. Not for us to figure out a way to show God to the world, but just to be a representation of him, to magnify him. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a, 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 an illustration. Commonly in schools, sometimes kids will have an opportunity. Uh, kids will have an opportunity to bring their, their parent to, to school. They'll, have, they'll be able to bring their parent to school for like show and tell, and the parent will be able to talk about what they do for a job and, and kind of present that to the classroom. And, you know, as we're talking about being the family of God, I kind of think about this. It's like a a kid bringing in his dad to the classroom and being so excited to say, Hey guys, classmates, this is my dad. He's so cool. He does this. He does that. And to be so excited about that and take dad to career day and say, That's my dad. Now, unfortunately, that can't always happen in our society, but it is something as a church. We are the family of God and he is our father. And so in a way, when we magnify God, we're saying, that's my dad. That's my dad. And that's something we can do as a church. We can do it as individuals, but we need to do it as a church. So there's three ways that I want to just quickly go through as we talk about what it looks like or how we magnify God. How do we allow people to see God's goodness and greatness and glory? How do we do that? And one way is in our corporate worship. In our corporate worship is the first thing we're looking at. And in our corporate worship, we're going to look at the verse from Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Some of you will remember that years ago I preached on this passage and my, uh, my thoughts on this have not changed at all. How important it is for us to be worshiping together. In Colossians three sixteen through 17 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want us to remember a lot, many times when we read these, uh, these verses and the word you is used, many times, as especially in the New Testament, because these books are, and letters are written to a group of people. They're written to a church. It is not just to be taken individually. It's more to be taken as a y'all. I stole that from Justin. So, let the word of Christ dwell in you all richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So it's this idea of one anothering and we are worshiping together. 
We are singing together. We are being thankful together. We are, whatever we're doing, we're doing in the name of the Lord Jesus. We do that as a church. We do that as a people. We do that as a group. And yes, we can do it as individuals. But don't miss the point that the church is called to come together to worship to show God or to talk about how God, great God is through our singing, through our teaching, and by showing others who God is and how great and wonderful he truly is. And so we magnify God as we come together and worship him. Together we, expe- we express publicly our love and devotion to our Father and our God who is glorious and without comparison. It's an opportunity to express that when we sing and when we teach and when we pray with one another. We have an opportunity to express it outwardly. Maybe we believe it inwardly, but this is our expression of it. And we're able to do that, and we're able to say together, that's our dad. That's what we're able to do. Now, I'm not going to say any more about corporate worship, because next week the whole sermon is devoted to that. So, just know that we will unpack this much more in much more detail next week, about what worship, what corporate worship looks like, and how we should go about it. But we'll talk about that next week. I don't want to get too far ahead and take too much time this morning. So first of all, in our corporate worship, when we, when we worship God, when we praise Him. Uh, also, in our good works is a way that we can magnify God. In our good works. Now notice, this is always dangerous when you start talking about good works. The Bible is very clear that there is nothing we can do to earn God's favor. We cannot do enough good to make him accept us into heaven. The only way that we can have eternal life is to realize that we're not good, to realize that we are sinful and we have no hope apart from a faith in Jesus. A faith in Jesus who came to live a perfect life as a man, who died on a cross so that we could be forgiven of all the times we've turned our back on God, all of our sins, and that if we would just receive him in faith and trust in him as we turn away from the way that we shouldn't live and we turn towards Jesus, we can be saved, we can have eternal life, we can know God personally. All that is true. And so when I talk about good works, I'm not saying that this somehow is a way that we garner favor from God, but our good works are a way that we magnify God because God is the ultimate source of good and therefore the ultimate source of good works. Matthew 5.16 will be the first thing we look at here. Matthew 5.16. This verse, to be honest with you, changed my life when I was in high school. To realize that God really did care about what I did and not just what I believed. Uh, Matthew 5.16 says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, Jesus is talking to the people, his followers that are listening to him. And he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And then what will happen? They will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When we do what is right, when we look at God's word and we see what we should do and we do it, when we care for the poor, when we love others, when we, when we come together and we do what God has asked us to do in his word, whatever that looks like, those good works that we do, they don't give us more favor with God. They don't make God like us more. That's not the point. But it does show him off to the world around us. We have a way we can magnify God through our good works. And also in Ephesians 2:10, I love this passage. This is right after Ephesians 2:8 and 9 that tells us that it's only by faith that we can be saved, that grace has been given, that we can have faith in Jesus. But then he says after all of that he says for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Don't miss this, church. That God saved us by grace through faith and then we are his workmanship and he created us for good works. Maybe in your, in your translation you may have the word masterpiece instead of workmanship. I like that. Workmanship is probably more correct. I'm not sure. I didn't look at the original Greek here. But I like the idea of a masterpiece because what do you do with a masterpiece? You display it. You show it off. And God has made a masterpiece and that is the good works that he wants you to do. That is, we are his workmanship. What he has done in us, the salvation he's given us and the good works that we do, he wants to show himself off through us. Really, in one way, I guess we could say that we would be uh, just we would be the art gallery and allow him to show off his masterpieces, which happen to also be us. But the point here is that we can magnify God through our good works. What we do shows what we care about. If we are doing good, it is because we are serving our good Father. We are showing off who God is, not who we are. We are displaying his masterpiece, not ours. And that is important as we talk about this. This is not just about doing good work so people will say, oh, look at him, look at her. She's such a good person. Who cares? That's not the point. Hopefully, people will look at you and say, wow, that's a really good person. They must serve a really good God. And so sometimes that means we need to make it clear that why we're doing good works is because we're doing it to serve Jesus. And so we do our good works to magnify God, not ourselves. And finally, the last way we can magnify God as a church is in our unity. In our unity. Uh, and it, I'm going to read this passage in Romans 15, 1 through 7, but can I just start by saying, in the world we live in, I've said this several times, uh, unity and people getting along does not happen often. And so when we come together as a church, we should get along in unity. Because that shows something different than the world around us. And Romans 15, 1-7 will tell us about this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to, ple- not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever is written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. When we magnify God, we are showing his glory to the world around us. And one way we do that is right here at the end of Romans 15, 1 through 7. It says that... He, he, Paul is praying for them and saying, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. That's that idea of unity, coming together as one in accord with Christ Jesus. It's because of Jesus. We have the same Father, we have the same Savior. We should be able to come together in unity and love. And he, then he says that when we come together, that together we may with one voice glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do this together. It is a corporate effort. It's not just me and you alone. Yes, of course, we can glorify God alone. But we're called as a people to come together in harmony, in unity, so that we will glorify God with one voice. And one of the ways we do that is to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. For the glory of God. 
That includes people we don't always get along with, and it includes people that we might disagree with on other issues, whether it's politics or whether it's, uh, uh, whether it's anything. I'm not going to give you a whole list, but I've seen it so many times. We need to not divide over differences of opinions or differences of who we are or just because someone might be different than us that somehow we can not have to obey this command that we need to live in harmony with one another so that we will welcome one another so that Jesus will receive glory. I think it's important as the church we do this. The world doesn't. The world pushes people aside and ostracizes people and turns their backs on people if that don't agree with them, that aren't like them. That's not us. We are the church of God. Jesus saved us all. And as we come together, then we welcome one another for the glory of God. And so in our unity, we magnify God. So I told you as we went through, we'd look at, we'd go back to the book of Acts. So uh, quickly, as we look again at Acts 2, 41 through 47, I don't have this on the screen, but I'm just going to remind you some of the things that were said in that passage that point to us to the fact that the early church was indeed magnifying God. So first of all, we see that they were uh, devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were hearing the word of God. That is a way to worship God, and we'll talk about that next week. They were doing, they were doing something called the breaking of bread, which most likely here is referring to communion. They were coming together to remember the death of Jesus together. They were praying. They were in prayers. There was awe that came upon every one of them as they saw what God was doing. They attended the temple, the place you went to worship God, and they received food gladly, And they were praising God. Those were just some of the things that the early church was doing. And so we also do those things. So the first thing we do as a church is we are meant to magnify God. To show his glory to the world around us. That is our job. That is our family business. Second thing that the church is called to do, that is meant to do, is the church is meant to love one another. This kind of goes right in line with what we were just talking about To be in harmony with one another requires us to love one another. This command is given more than any other command in the New Testament to God's church. To love one another. That is what our calling is as Christians, is to love as God has loved us. Let's just think about this for a minute. If the church is meant to love one another, if we're talking about family dynamics, have you ever been in a place, maybe at a restaurant or maybe... uh, I've heard it at like uh, amusement parks or wherever you might be that's a little stressful. And you hear a family that is fighting. Or specifically like a husband and wife, like you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and you encounter them in the middle of a discussion and it's not very nice. And you see the fighting and you see the bickering of the family or the, the couple and it makes you feel really uncomfortable. It kind of makes everyone involved make, be kind of miserable and uncomfortable. And if we're fighting as a church family, that's what people watching are also going to feel like. This uncomfortability to watch us fight because we don't love one another the way we should. So let's look at three things that loving one another will do for our church. As we are meant to love one another, what is it that it does? Well, as we love one another, it first unites us. It unites us. Again, we just talked about unity. And unity cannot be achieved without love. The two go together. Colossians 3.14, to start with, says this, And above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Again, here we see, this is even before 
later on in a couple of verses later is when uh, we're, we read about how we need to be worshiping together corporately. But this says in the midst of doing that, we need to above all these things, about all things that he's been talking about, it put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If we want harmony, if we want unity, it comes through love. And Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 is where we go next. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Talking about what God has done for the church. And he says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And he'll go on. And then say in verse 14 that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But here in the midst of what Paul says to the Ephesian church about what God has done, that he has given them people to equip them for ministry, for service, to serve others, to build others up, to bring unity, and to do it as we speak the truth in love. It all goes together. As we love one another as the church, it will unite us. The next thing it does, and I already started reading the verses, but we'll look again at Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, is that it strengthens us. It strengthens us as a church. It strengthens us as individuals as we come together and love one another. Again, Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, after talking about the fact that God has given these people to equip the church for ministry and for growth, says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Again, the love comes there too. And if we want to continue to build in love, as we love one another, we build each other up. The analogy here, the thought process is, what do you do to build up your body? Well, physically, you would work it out. You would go to the gym and you would pump irons or you would ride a bike, I don't know, whatever you'd want to do in the gym to work out to build your body up so that it was more healthy and stronger and ready to handle whatever life might throw at it. And the same thing is true here. To be built up as a body, as a church, we need to be going to the gym in the sense. We need to be coming together and loving one another. And as we love one another, it'll strengthen us more and more and more. And let me just say, we need one another to be strong. Strength doesn't come just because we can be, uh, we can just find our own strength to get through a tough circumstance. If we want to find strength, it comes from one another. There is strength in numbers, and that is so true as we talk about the church. We strengthen one another as we love each other. So not only does loving one another unite us and strengthen us, the final thing we're going to look at in this point is that it distinguishes us. It distinguishes us. John 13, 34 through 35. Many of you will know this passage, but let's read it. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples for you if you have love for one another. We see this point blank. Jesus says it. 
loving one another isn't about us. It's not to make ourselves look good or feel good. Loving one another is about reflecting God's love to us. Love one another just as I have loved you is what Jesus says. And then it goes on and says, when we love one another, the world will notice and should look to God to find the ultimate love that is only offered through Jesus. Again, we do not love one another so people can say, oh, what a nice person, how loving they are. No, we love because Jesus loved us first. We love so that when people see it, they say, there's something different about that church. There's something different about the people of God that love one another. Because again, that's not something we see in the world around us. Love is not what it should be as we look around. The unconditional love for one another that will serve one another and put ourselves second for the good of someone else. That is love that is no longer able to be seen in this world many times. And yet as a church, if we can do that, if we love one another the way Jesus loved us, that we are sacrificing for one another, whatever that looks like, then the world will take notice. And our love will show people that God's love is great. Again, it goes back to magnifying God. So even what we could say is even loving one another falls under the umbrella even of what we said first, that the church is meant to magnify God. And part of the way we do that is through loving one another. And so, so far we've seen the church is meant to magnify God through worship works and unity. Church is also meant to love one another as it unites us, it strengthens us, and it distinguishes us. And finally, the last point today will be that the church is meant to share the gospel with others. We are to share the gospel with others. That is the church's job. The church's job is not only to magnify God and not only to love one another, but as we share the gospel, it is another way that we magnify God. We show the glory to the world. We share the good news of Jesus and what he's done and who he is. We share that with the world around us. I believe that I preached a sermon similar to this a long time ago where I told you guys that I don't really like to be outside. And that's still true, except for baseball season, I've been outside a lot. But normally I would rather be inside. But remember if I said that way back then that we as a church need to make sure we're going out and not just staying in. The understanding is, is yes, we are a family, but we want others to join the family. Because... In the end, this family isn't really our family. It doesn't belong to us. So we need to tell other people about the family. Tell other people about the father that they can have that we already have. And that's the point. And there's three ways that I see the church sharing the gospel with others. And the first one is as an embassy. As an embassy. Now, an embassy serves some purposes if you think about it. If you think about a human embassy, it's a place that countries will send their ambassadors to to live and and when they're there actually the the embassy itself is not even part of the country it's in like the embassies that are here in our united states if they're an embassy for another country they're still their own sovereign area they still belong to that country they don't belong to our country they belong to their country but they're just in a different place and the truth for the church is that's very true for us we are part of god's kingdom we are already part of God's kingdom. And one day that'll be seen fully and we'll be with everyone that is in God's kingdom and we will rule along with Christ and that is coming. But right now what we have is we have embassies. Our churches are are like embassies in the fact that 
We are still citizens of heaven. We're citizens of God's kingdom, and yet we're here in a different place for a different purpose. And what is the purpose of an embassy? It's to represent the country that they're from, and it's to look out for their good and their interests. And that's what we are called to do. Um, And yes, embassies were a little different in the Roman times, but not altogether that much different. It was still an idea of representing another nation. Uh, 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 21 Let's look at what we read here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through, for, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is reminding the Corinthian church again what it is that they're meant to be about to be ambassadors that are bringing reconciliation to the world. They're bringing a message to the world that the world needs to hear. And that is that God has done something to make things right, to restore a relationship with God. That Jesus came, he lived that perfect life we couldn't die so that he would, or live, so that he could die the death that we deserve to die, so that he could rise again and show his power over sin and death, so that by doing all of that, he, and by promising to come back again one day, that if we will trust in him, if we will place our faith, our trust, our belief, in who he is, what he's done, and live in light of that, then we, that's the message he's given us, and now we need to share that message with the world around us. That God brought relation, relational healing. We are no longer broken from God to us. There is no longer breaking of that relationship, but there, now we can know God for, for real. And that is the reconciliation that God has brought and we need to be the ones who are bringing that message as ambassadors. And so if we're ambassadors as a group, then when we come together, we are an embassy. That's how, that's how I see it anyway and think about it. So as a church, we are an embassy. We are a small representation of God's kingdom. The church is meant to give a glimpse of God's glory to the world around us. A glimpse of God's eternal kingdom. God is reconciling the world and we are bringing this message from our king to those who need to be under his rule. That is the point as the church. So we share the gospel as an embassy. We represent him. We represent his kingdom to the world around us. Church is also meant to share the gospel with others as an example. As an example. 1 Peter 3, 8-17. This is a little longer, but I want to read this through. We're going to look at a couple different things here, but we are called to live as an example, and that's a way to share the gospel with each other, with others. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you might obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Here in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17, Peter is telling the church very simply that we need to live in a way that is an example to those who will end up persecuting us. So we need to live a life that is honoring to God, even if it means that we'll end up facing trials and persecution from those around us. And it says our faithful living, as we live a faithful life, and as we have hope in the midst of of persecution, in the midst of trial, in the midst of hard times, if we can have hope and faithful living in the midst of those things, what does Peter say will happen? He says people will ask, what is going on with you? Why are you so filled with hope? And when they ask that question, we need to be prepared, as we're told here, to give a defense. That involves speaking. So as I talk about leading an example, it is not just about saying, well, if you just live a good life, that's good enough for people to know Jesus. No, you live a faithful life, you show the hope that you have, and you give a glimpse, and you show that the hope that we have is the gospel. And when we're asked about how that happens, or when we have opportunity to share, we share it. We are prepared to defend To give a defense, that just means to be ready to say, oh, you want to know what my hope is? My hope is in Jesus. My hope is in the fact that I I know someone who lived a perfect life that I couldn't live, who died for me, so that I could be forgiven of my sins and then rose again from the dead to show that he's more powerful than sin and death in my life and that I'm as I trust and have faith in him, he is making me new and as he makes me new, one day he'll come back and set everything right. And we can say that and say that is our hope. And so we're ready to give a defense for those who ask. But they won't ask if we don't set the example. They've got to go together. They're not going to ask if we're just living like everyone else and don't show faithful living and hope in the midst of hard times. And so, yes, as the church, we need to set an example. When the world needs somewhere to look in the midst of the worst of times, they should be able to look to us as a church and ask, where is your hope? And we should be able to answer, it's in Jesus. Our hope is the gospel, and that's what we need to preach. So fine, so as an embassy, we represent God's kingdom to this world. As an example, we show the gospel and speak when we have opportunity But then this final thing goes even further as we say that not only is the church an embassy an example, but also the church needs to be an evangelist. The church needs to be an evangelist. Now, I was very careful in picking how I said this word. I didn't say as evangelists. Because I want to talk about something interesting as we think about evangelism. Because many times we talk about evangelism and the first thing we think is it's all about personal evangelism. Maybe you've heard that. Uh, In Bible college, I took many courses that were called personal evangelism how we can share the gospel personally with people. And I don't, hey, yes, we should do that, absolutely. We should all, when we have opportunity, whether we're individually and all alone or not, share the gospel with people. And I will not say that we shouldn't, but today I want us to think about it as the idea, again, of as a church, the commands to evangelize the world, to bring the good news of the gospel to the world, 
were not given just to individual people, but they were given to the church. And together as a church, we have an opportunity to preach the gospel. And let's talk about that for just a few moments as we think about this. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Many of us know this passage, but let's go there. Jesus is saying this to all of his followers before he leaves. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, and I am behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is reminding his church that he's with them. His authority is still with them, and therefore they need to go and make disciples. That's to tell people about Jesus, because they can't be disciples if they don't know who they're following. It's to tell people about Jesus. It's to teach them about Jesus. It's to show them who he is. It's to baptize them, baptize people so that they will identify with Jesus, and that is what they're called to do. The church is called to do. And then in Acts 1.8, again, Jesus says before he leaves to his church, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The church's role as Jesus leaves is says, listen, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. This is going to help you. You're going to have the power you need to be my witnesses, not only here but everywhere, here and through the whole world. God's calling to make disciples and be witnesses is clear. And it is not just for individuals, it is for the church. So we, when we come together as the family of Jesus, we need to think about the fact that as we come together, it's not just time, it's not just family time for us, but it's also a time to point other people to Jesus, to bring other people into the family. We need to view church as not a place to hide from the world, but a place to bring people in. Not a place that we go to hide from the world, but a place where we want the world to come in so that we can share the good news and share the gospel with them. And so we need to be willing to live our church lives with our unchurched people and be okay with that. A lot of times what we end up doing is we end up having our church life and our home life and our work life and our family life Let's roll it all into one. Our church life is our life with our friends and our personal life. It all should be one. As we share the gospel, as we are witnesses for Jesus. And so as a church, we do this. As individuals, we do this. But as a church, we do this. I want to read you a quote from a book that I was using this week. It's called Devoted to God's Church from Sinclair B. Ferguson. Uh, It has some really good thoughts in here about the importance of joining a church. But I want to read this section that I thought was really good and I thought he did a much better job than I could of explaining what I'm really trying to get at when I talk about the church being an evangelist. It's not just about us sharing the gospel in our personal lives, but it's about doing it as a church. And I just want to read to you this, what he says, and this is kind of where we're going. And he uses some bigger words, but hopefully we can kind of wade through them. It is a frequently overstated fact that the New Testament... Uh, In the New Testament, the second person pronoun you is characteristically plural and not singular. But while what is written is you plural, what is heard is usually you singular. Thus, exhortations to the community are truncated as though they were addressed to only individuals. The church needs to hear these exhortations as addressed to each and all of us as a fellowship. It is as the church family that we are called to be witnesses to Christ. We are a city set on a hill. We are... We are to be salt together, not single grains. 
Evangelism, therefore, needs to be seen as corporate as a corporate activity in which each member of the entire church family has a role to play. That we all come together and we all have a role to play as we serve people together to show the gospel to them and to preach the gospel to them. Another book that I went through is What is a Healthy Church Member? I'm going to try to say his name by Tabidi M. Anabwile. I think that's how you say his name. It's long, but anyway. Uh, he's... He's got a little bit more to say, and I want to read this because these are more, this is practically. So what we just read and what I've already said is that we together as a church are evangelizing the world, but this is what it looks like practically, and this is a little longer of a section, so really bear with me as I read this. In addition to those excellent recommendations, a church member should recognize the centrality and usefulness of the local church in evangelism. Where we are involved in gospel-preaching churches, then by God's grace, the gospel will be preached in each Lord's Day gathering. Inviting our non-Christian friends to church services is an excellent way to expand on the personal conversations that you have had with them about the gospel. It's also an opportunity for them to see the gospel fleshed out in the lives of an actual congregation of believers. In the church, non-Christians should see the kind of unity and love that testifies to the truth and power of the gospel and God's love. Our friends will see the gospel with their own eyes as they witness Christians observing baptism in the Lord's Supper. Both in the way we live together as a church and in the ordinances of the church, we display the gospel in ways that complement the preached word of the gospel. Moreover, involving our non-Christian family and friends in our church life is a helpful preview of the life they will be called to live should the Lord bring them to repentance and saving faith. Making the local church a central part of our evangelistic efforts helps to cut the root of spiritual individualism at the beginning of the Christian life. Finally, in our local churches, we have at our disposal perhaps dozens or hundreds of allies, fellow Christians, each with their own conversion experiences and resources, who can build relationships with our friends and our families. The Lord is often pleased to use our fellow members in sharing the pivotal word or living the compelling example that brings another person to saving faith. Don't leave the local church out of your efforts to win the lost. So those are some practical thoughts as we think about what it means as the church being an evangelist. We reach out, work together to bring the gospel to people. How many times have you heard a story of somebody who's shared the gospel with somebody in their life over and over and over and over again and they've never received Jesus and then all of a sudden somebody else says the exact same thing that that person's been saying to that person for years and all of a sudden it clicks and God used that person to bring them to understand that they needed him and they repent and they give their life to Jesus. Now would the person who's been sharing with them all that time be angry because, oh man, that was supposed to be me. I was supposed to be the one to lead that person to Jesus. Oh, I'm so angry. I hope not. It should be the exact opposite. Praise God. Awesome. Thank you for helping. Like, that is exactly how it should be. We work together to share the gospel as a church. By the way, I got way too far ahead of myself. Real quickly, as we go back to the uh, second point of the church is meant to love one another, just notice back in Acts chapter 2 what the church was doing. They were having fellowship with one another. They were together and had all things in common. They were selling their things and distributing to everyone who needed it. They were breaking bread in their homes. They were sharing their homes with one another. And when they ate, they were being generous. These are all points of loving one another. And finally, some things we see in Acts chapter 2, what the early church was doing as far as evangelism. We see in verse 41, we start by saying, Peter just preached the gospel and 3,000 souls are added to the church. Then later on at the end of that passage in verse 47, it says that the church was having favor with all the people, all the people around them, having favor with them. 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Because no doubt, as they were with the people, as they were having favor with all the people, the reason they were finding favor is because they were preaching the good news of the gospel, and so people came to know Jesus, and they were being saved day by day. The church was working together. Again, so the early church in Acts 2, 41 through 47, they were doing all these things we've talked about. They were magnifying God, they were loving one another, and they were reaching out to the world around them. And we need to do the same thing. Things have not changed that much. Our church is still called to those same things. So let's look at some implications as we get ready to close this morning. Implications that we see as we've looked at everything we've looked at today, pretty simple, but let's take some time to think about it. When we gather together as a church, we are here for God, not for ourselves. This is the first priority. When we come together as a church, it is to magnify and to glorify God. It's not to magnify and glorify ourselves. It is not to make ourselves feel better. It is not to put a check mark in the box that says, there, I did my duty. We come to church for God's glory, to show him off not only to those around us, but to the world around us as well. When we are together as a church, we are here for each other, not for ourselves. When you sit in your chair, when you're out in the foyer, when you're anywhere in this church, don't view church as I'm coming to get something out of this for me. Look at church as something I am coming to give to others because it's about all of us to love one another. And yes, we get the benefit of people loving us, but we also love others. And it's this beautiful give and take. And the idea is when we walk into church, we need to be looking for opportunities to show love to one another. Look for specific opportunities, specific people, or just in general, just come in ready to just throw love on everyone, even if it annoys them. We need to love one another and put others before ourselves. That is the calling of the New Testament. And so when we gather together as a church, remember we are not here for ourselves, we are here for each other. And finally, When we gather together as a church, we are here for, and I put this in quotes, I didn't know what else to say, outsiders. I don't want them to be outsiders. We want them to be insiders, but until they're in, they're out. So we are here for outsiders, not for ourselves. When we come together as a church, it is not just to hide from the world, but it's to show God's glory to the world and preach the gospel to people who need it. That is our calling as a church, to do these things, to glorify and magnify God, to love one another, and to evangelize the lost, to show the good news to people who need it. Notice the key element here at, at the end of each of these lines is not for ourselves, not for ourselves, not for ourselves. I want to make sure that I am very clear that as we think about what the church is and what the church does, that we get away from the mentality that this culture has taught us that somehow church is like any other thing. It's just like a store I go to or a restaurant I eat at. I can choose which ones I like and which ones I don't and I'm going to go because I want to get something out of it. I go to the store because I want deals that will help me. I go to the restaurant because I want good food that's going to taste good. Now, I hope that when you come to church, you get good feelings, and I hope that things are good to come here, but we shouldn't be basing whether we go to church or not, or how we feel about church, or what we do in church, based on if it's serving us well enough. And I know this is going to maybe come across a little sharp, I don't want it to, because I understand, but if we come into church thinking about God, each other, and the world around us, 
then maybe we'll think a little less about our preferences, what we like, how we feel. I hope you're built up and encouraged when you come, obviously. But don't look at church as just coming to find something that will give you what you need. Whether, it's the, whether it sounds good or not. If it's just, some people might say, well, I just need to be there because I, I, I feel like I have to. Some people will say, well, I need to be there because I need to feel loved. And those, that's good. You should want to feel loved, but you should also love one another. Don't just come in here looking for how you can serve yourself. Get away from the consumer mindset. Because church is the family of God as we come together and we are here for God, for each other, and for the world around us. So three questions to consider as you get ready to leave this portion of our time together this morning. First one is, do you need to become part of the family of Jesus and begin to magnify him? Maybe you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're not part of the family. Maybe you're one of the outsiders I talked about. I don't want you to be an outsider anymore. Join the family. Know the Father. He's my dad. I want him to be yours too. And so come to know Jesus. Trust in Jesus. His death, his resurrection, the fact he's coming back again for you. Trust in Jesus. Give your life to him. That is how you can be saved, how you can have eternal life, have a relationship with God restored, and you can start living your life to make him look good and magnify him for what he is and who, or what he's done and who he is. Next question for all of us, in what ways can we better magnify God and show love to the church family God has put us in? Every time we walk in these doors, or when we're not even in these doors, but maybe we're in a field, or maybe we're at a home, or maybe we're just anywhere we might find, maybe we run into each other at the, church, at the, at the store. <laughs> wherever it might be, wherever we are together to worship God together, what can we do to magnify God and show love to our church family? How can we magnify God better? How can we love others better? Those are questions we all need to ask and follow the calling that God has put on our lives as the church. And then the last question I think we all need to consider as a church body, how can we all participate in reaching out to unbelievers? How can we all participate as a church in reaching out to those who don't know Jesus? Reaching out to those who aren't in the family yet. How can we reach out as a church? How can we help one another partner in evangelism? And that's what we should be looking to do. So if we have events or if we have opportunities that we would take them as a church and we would preach the gospel to the world around us. That is the calling of the church. Worship team's gonna come up and sing one final song. Then we'll close in prayer and I'll come up for some announcements. But even as we sing, would you think about these questions? How can we better magnify God? How can we better show love to the church family God has put us in? And how can we better reach out to unbelievers as the church? With all those things in our mind, let us sing together and let's please stand.